All right. Well, good morning, church family. Y'all doing okay? I'm trying to see if we, there we are. Okay, cool. Um, well, I hope you're doing well today. Uh, if you've got your Bible, uh, and I do hope that you have that, James chapter 1 is where we'll be. So James chapter 1, grab a Bible, uh, pull that up. If you don't have one, it'll be on the screen. We'll show it in just a minute. We'll read from verses 19 and 20. Uh, as you're turning there, let me say this. My name is Brian Alderman. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Liberty. It's my joy to be able to uh, bring you God's Word today. And listen, you've picked a great day uh, to come and to hear from God's Word. Um, if you're new or joining us for the first time, then you may not know, but we've been in a series called Let's Talk About It. And over the last five weeks, excluding Mother's Day before that, uh, we have kind of just dove in headfirst to some of the heavier topics, the hot topics, if you will, that exist in our culture today. Uh, we've looked at them and seen how can we speak God's truth, the truth of God's word, to these pressing issues of our time. And you've been studying through some of them in life groups as well, and I, I hope that it has been a blessing. Well, Today, we come to the last installment, uh, episode six, if you will, of that sermon series, and we'll wrap it up today. We'll close it out. Um, and today, our topic is anger and violence. Anger and violence. Now, if you're looking at the list of topics and you see anger and violence on there, you may have been a little bit like, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of interesting because as far as things that are outrageous, things that are out of the ordinary, you know, like anger and violence in our society are about as common as breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and bad customer service. You know, I mean, so we hit these super heavy topics like abortion and transgenderism and sexual attraction, all these kinds of things. And then on the last day, we, we come to this, you know, this issue of anger and violence. Well, here's what drove us as your pastoral staff to bring this one to the surface. Um, we need to know and understand that every single one of us in the room deals with anger and violence, first of all. But we also realize that when we think about this topic, it's those examples or those illustrations of mass violence that happens so frequently in our society. You know, at, at an embarrassing and an alarming rate. A, pretty much every time you turn on the news or every time you look at your news feed, you see another example of mass violence that has happened. And so we want to step into that. We want to speak to that a little bit. I remember when uh, I was at Beeson Divinity School, we had to take like a two-week mission trip out of the country to somewhere else in the world. It was called our Cross-Cultural Ministry Practicum. And so um, I went to the Czech Republic for my CCMP, and it was my second time actually going to the Czech Republic. I've been there once before, love it, had great experiences there both times, and I'm super thankful for the parts of, of my story that are written because I got to go on these trips. We were there to teach English uh, to students that were in the school system in the city of Pelojimov, uh, there in the Czech Republic. And I mean, I, listen, real quick, let me just say, I hope you all realize how blessed we are to live where we are and to like the things that we take for granted to have those be our reality. Um, English is like cultural collateral wherever you go in the world. Everybody wants to speak English. And you and I grew up like, well, yeah, that's just the language that we were raised in, right? So, uh, but we have opportunity, and, and that's what gave us the opportunity to speak to these students. Without fail, excluding maybe like the first or second graders that we taught, um, there were always two things that the Czech students wanted to know our opinion about, right, as we stand in front of them and we're teaching them English. They wanted to know two things. Number one, uh, they wanted to know how we felt about Donald Trump. 
Now, President Trump was in office at the time, uh, and of course, the, uh, the, the Czech Republic has never had a TV star turned president of their country, and so we can forgive them for that. I mean, they're young in their democracy, right? It's only 30 years ago or so that communism was overturned there, and I think they've only had four presidents, so give them some time. They'll catch up. Maybe they'll have a TV star in the, uh, whatever the White House is over there one day as well. The second thing that they always wanted to know about, and this is a little heavier, was why do your people shoot each other all the time? And it was crazy. I mean, these are middle school students, older elementary school students that are asking this pressing question of why in the United States, which is supposed to be this super wealthy, super happy Disney World kind of place, why do you guys shoot each other all the time? It's an interesting question. And it's one that we're going to try to dive into a little bit. Now, now, for me personally, like I grew up going to school, I, I felt mostly safe, you know. I, I went to school in a post-Columbine world, but Columbine kind of felt like Pearl Harbor or 9-11, you know. It was this historical thing, that, the terrible tragedy that, you know, you look at it and you're like, that could never happen again, right? We could never go through something like that again. But then there was Parkland High School in Florida, and then there was Covenant Christian in Nashville, there was Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut and Rob Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, which just on Wednesday, it's been a year now since the shooting at Rob Elementary School. You could certainly think of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. You could think of the shooting at the Country Music Festival in Las Vegas. Or if you wanted to really zero in, you could even think about just last month, the shooting at a 16-year-old's birthday party in Dadeville, Alabama where four people were killed and many more were injured. Now listen, friends, it's not just gun violence. And, and I need you to hear me say that. It's not. I mean, here's the reality. Before guns, humans were creative in finding any different way that we could to express the anger and the violence that, that welled up within us. I mean, we've been murdering and killing each other as long as we've been on this side of the fall into sin. So no, it's... It's not just the guns I thought of when I was preparing this. You know, the, um, in the Old Testament, the story of King David and his adultery with Bathsheba. Um, at the beginning of that story, there's a point that we need to catch. Uh, and I'm going to take it in a different way this morning, right? It says, in the springtime when kings went out to war, David stayed home. Now, usually when we're talking about that passage, it's like David should have gone to war, right? And that was his first mistake and what led to uh, the, the relationship with Bathsheba. But think about that. This is ancient Israel. They went to war. Why? Because it was springtime. The leaves blossomed. Here come the flowers. Get your swords, boys. It's time to go to war. I mean, so, so I want you to remember that. Anger and violence, this is not primarily a gun problem. All of these things are connected, friends. We talk about anger and violence. We need to talk about domestic violence. We do need to talk about gun violence. We need to talk about bullying. We need to talk about um, all these different things that at the end of the day, friends, are just expressions of the problem. They're expressions of the problem. They're not the problem. The problem is you. The problem is me. The problem is that you and I are sinfully angry and we carry out sinful violence in order to take out that anger. All these things are connected. The problem that we need to see today, that our passage is going to show us with clarity, is that the anger of man cannot 
accomplish God's righteousness. The anger of man cannot accomplish God's righteousness. So if you have your Bible, James chapter 1, you want to stand, uh, whether you're joining us in the worship center in the room this morning, or if you're online, let's stand up uh, to demonstrate that we are listening to the word of the Lord and we want to hear what he has to say to us. So James chapter 1 in verse 19, he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This is the day that you've made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it and be thankful. And today, Lord, as we step into this heavy topic of anger and violence, Lord, I pray for your help. We need your help, Lord. If we're going to discover more about you, uh, discover more about the sin that's within us, and ultimately come to you, turning away from that sin, putting our trust in you, and receiving the forgiveness and the healing that you offer. So Lord, our prayer is this, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Be seated. So I have three goals for this morning that um, I just want to throw out right at the beginning. Number one, I want to frame up the root of violence, right? I want us to see very clearly where does violence come from? Why does it happen? The, and the root of violence, I'll say quickly at this point, is sinful uh, anger that exists in each one of us uh, that ultimately comes from um, our desires being crossed or, or, or not being met. Write down, if you've got sermon notes or wherever you're taking notes, write down James chapter 4 and read through it this week. He's going to talk about in that passage how we wage war and we murder and we covet. It's because of the, the desires that we have that compete against each other on the inside and that then result in or explode out into these outbursts of anger, of violence, or of other kinds of sin. So I want us to see really clearly the, the root of violence, where it comes from. Number two, I want to speak truth to everybody in the room who struggles with sinful anger and violence. And um, friends, that doesn't leave out any of us. We are all caught up in this one, every single one of us. And then last, number three, I do want to step kind of into the, into the middle of these acts of mass violence that sometimes happen. And I want to just offer some some thoughts on how we as Christ followers can be um, God's agents of peace in the world. So to that end, speaking of, uh, number one on your sermon notes this morning, number one is this, God's design, peace on earth. God's design was for peace on earth. We have, um, we've taken you back to Genesis a number of times throughout this series. And the reason for that is because in the Bible we get two chapters, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, before the fall of humanity into sin happens. And so if you want to see what things looked like before sin broke the world, uh, before our disobedience brought the curse, um, then you have to go back to the beginning. And that's what we do when we look at Genesis 1 and 2. Now, God creates Adam and Eve, and um, in, this, in this blessed state that they are in, they have peace. I mean, just like God meant for it to be. First of all, they have peace uh, 
what is this, vertically? <laughs> yeah, vertically. They have peace vertically uh, with God, right? They walk with God every day. They talk with him like I'm talking to you now. They experience this kind of peaceful relationship with their creator. I mean, how amazing would that be? But it's not just vertical peace, it's also horizontal peace. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve, in that state um, of marriage that they were in, they were naked and yet unashamed. There's no conflict in this relationship. They get along perfectly with each other. There's no misunderstanding. There's no judgment. There's peace in between Adam and Eve. There's also peace that spills out into all of creation. The Bible talks about how God gave them plants for food. These things that were going to grow in order to provide every bit of nourishment that they and their descendants would need. They'd be taken care of. The animals actually came to Adam. Like think about a lion just walking up to Adam in order to receive its name from him. There was peace. The absence of anger, the absence of violence. Peace in God, God's design just as he wanted it. Now, of course, we um, know how the story goes. Satan comes along. He tempts uh, the woman and Adam stands there the whole time and passively doesn't engage, and they both uh, fall into sin. Now, I want to make this point real quick. Up to that moment, good and evil for Adam and Eve were reduced to one single prohibition. It's just one thing that God asked them not to do. You can eat of all the trees in the garden. You can do whatever you want. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Satan tempts them, he says, basically, he tries to convince them that God's holding out on them, right? Hey, you're, you're not going to die when you eat of that. In fact, God's just, he doesn't want you to become like him. If you eat it, the day that you eat that fruit, your eyes will be opened. You'll see good and evil clearly, and you'll be like God. And so they fall for that temptation, and they fall into sin. And in that moment... Their sin and their disobedience drives a wedge between their relationship with the Lord. It cuts off where perfect fellowship had once been. Now there's animosity. Now there's strife. Now there's conflict. Adam and Eve are separated from God because of the wedge that their sin drives between them. Now listen, friends, it's the same for you and I. Because every single one of us is a sinner by nature and by choice. We got it ultimately from Adam and Eve way back when. But we still participate in it every day. And every time you and I choose to rebel against God's instruction, what he's told us to do, we drive that wedge in between our relationship with ultimately our creator. And when that peace vertically is disrupted, peace horizontally suffers as well. But, but we have to remember that this is not what God desired for us. This was not the play that he designed God's design was peace on earth. You know, that's why when Jesus is born and the story of redemption kind of enters this new segment, the angels come and they, they sing, and this line that they sing is peace on earth because God's reestablishing his peace. But in that time, we, we lost it. Peace is kind of a, um, it's, it's a bit of an anemic word in our English language. It's kind of like the word love, you know, like you love pizza, you love your spouse, and you love God. Right? And that one word is expected to bear the weight of all three of those things. Like, do you really feel the same way about pizza that you do about the Creator? You know, of course, the answer is no. Well, well peace is kind of the same way. You and I tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict. When there's no war, there's what? Peace. 
When there is war, there's no peace. And so it's, it is, it's a, it's a lack of conflict. But the people who wrote the Bible, the Hebrews who would have um, been building this idea in, and even in the New Testament, which is a different word because it was written in a different language, they're thinking not of like our English word peace, the absence of conflict, they're thinking of this word shalom. Right? Now, if you're a Bible student, you know, your scholarly cap is on, you're like, ah, shalom, I know what that means. Uh, it actually is how they greeted each other, too. They would say shalom because it, it meant peace. Um, and so that was how they said hello to one another. But their concept of peace was, was like all-inclusive and all-expansive. It wasn't just the absence of conflict. It was the presence of abundant blessing. Right? It's like blessing is all around you, and it's like pressing in on you. This was peace. Write down again, if uh, you got some time this week, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. You'll, uh, in that passage, God kind of displays for the Israelites through Moses, hey, this is what it can look like if you obey me and you keep what I have commanded you. This is the peace that you can have. Now, again, I mentioned that Genesis 1 and 2 is really the only chapters that we have that express God's design before the fall into sin. And, and that design was corrupted because of point number two on your notes, which is sin's disorder, violence, resulting from sinful anger. doesn't take long after the fall into sin for us to experience the first violence that happens in the Bible. But contrary to what you may be thinking, it's actually not in Genesis 4 when Cain murders Abel. Violence happens before that. We're told that even though God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, he took animal skins and he covered them. So don't miss this real quick, and we'll say more about it later, but the first violence that happens in the Bible is not human on human. It's God taking the life of one of his creatures to cover the consequences of his other creature's sin. And this is so hugely important, my friends, because I think a lot of people get caught up and, and, and hung up, and maybe not you, but you may struggle with these questions as well, on the character of God all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, there are times when God's instructions, what he commands, it seems violent, doesn't it? I mean, you're reading the Old Testament, and you're like, man, this does not seem like gentle Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. Gentle Jesus doesn't exist, by the way. But it just, it, God can seem very violent. But, but here's the thing. I, I want to, let me just take this moment to say to you, hey, um, God is the creator and you and I are the creatures. God sees the whole picture, the whole plan. You and I just see a sliver. And so, yes, when God seems violent, what I'm going to ask you to do is trust in his character. Trust in the fact that he is good and he demonstrates that all throughout the Bible. Trust that that's who he is, even when it seems like he's violent. Now, Genesis 3.21, where we read about these animal skins covering Adam and Eve, provides a perfect window for us to see what's going on here. God will go to great lengths to spare his people the consequences of their sins. In that moment, he took the life of an animal in order to cover Adam and Eve. But friends, the news gets better than that for you and I. Because God was willing to take the life, not of an animal, but of his own son. And to shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven for the sins that we commit. 
I need to say that right at the beginning here because I need you to understand that we deserve violence. We deserve wrath. Every time we sin, we break God's good creation. Every time. We'll say more about that toward the end. But the reality is that sin turns the world violent. And it's not hard to see how this happens. Humans... Whenever we choose to rebel against God, essentially what we're doing is we're saying, forget you, God, I've got this. And we push him off of the throne that he deserves, and we put ourselves on that throne. And rather than letting God decide, define, map out what is good and evil, we take it on ourselves. And we decide what's good and evil. And believe it or not, we get it wrong a lot. And this is where... Sinful anger and sinful violence come from, ultimately, uh, anger is aroused when the kingdom of me is crossed. Y'all know uh, Pastor Matt Adams on our staff team. I love the way that he says it, right? He says, I love me some me. I mean, that's just true. For all of us in the room, we all have selfish desires on the inside that ultimately, in our sin, we want the world to be about us. We want people to serve us. We want people to behave like we think they should behave. And when that's crossed, when that doesn't happen, our anger is aroused. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to control us in those moments, then that anger can go to dark places. Whether it's inside our mind or outside into the world around us. Yes, see, we we see this in mass shootings and we see it in terrorist attacks. But friends, we also see this in domestic violence and bullying. We see this in ways that we would call understandable or respectable even. Because a lot of us don't like to face up to the fact that we're angry and our anger is sinful. See, there's there's two different ways that anger can play out in your life. Anger certainly can be like the volcano that explodes, right? Right? But anger can also be like siege warfare. Do you know what siege warfare is? It's when you surround your enemy and you cut them off from resources that they need to survive. There are those of us in the room that struggle with violent anger. We blow up and we get mad and we throw things and we curse and we say things that we shouldn't. And we go totally explosive in our demonstration of anger. But there's also those of us in the room who clam up in our anger and we get cold And we cut off our family, our spouse, our workplace from the resources that they rightfully deserve from us. Because we're mad. We separate ourselves and try to cut them off in our anger. And I just need you to hear, friends, because if you know me, you know that I'm the clam up kind of anger. I can get cold and I can disengage from my family. And what I need to hear this morning is that that is every bit as sinful as the anger that explodes and that throws things across the room. In all of our anger, all of our wrongly placed, wrongly expressed anger, we need to understand God sees it and He knows. And He judges our anger. Whatever type it is. Now, it's a good time for me to mention that not all anger is sinful. Listen, brother and sister, um, those of you who are in Jesus, there are some things that we need to be angry about. I mean, we should be angry when babies are aborted. 
We should be. We should be angry when spouses are abused in their own home. We should be angry when children live in fear that mom or dad is going to fly off the handle and hurt them. We should be angry about those things. We should be angry that just a few miles in our backyard, Interstate 20 between Birmingham and Atlanta, has been colloquially referred to as the sex trafficking superhighway of the United States. That should make us angry. There are plenty of things that we can be righteously angry about. Jesus even gives us an example of this in the scripture when he goes into the temple and he sees the religious system being abused. And he turns, he flips the tables over and he drives people out and he says, my father's house was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've turned it into a marketplace and a den of thieves. He's angry about it. And he expresses that anger in righteousness. Now, let me dive even a little bit deeper and just pastorally say here. Listen, if abuse or fear in your own home, if that's your story, then friend, can I please encourage you in this moment to reach out and get help? Can I encourage you not to wait and think that one day it's going to get better? Let me encourage you to be a part of the process of it getting better by reaching out for help and saying, hey, this is happening and I'm scared to admit it because I'm scared of the consequences, but somebody needs to know. Let me just ask you, please, please do that. Even do it before you leave today. There are people in here who want to help you. I'm happy to talk to you. And at the end of our service, I'm, I'm begging you, please reach out for help. Certainly, if you're in a life group, talk to somebody in your life group. My point is this, receive the help and the healing that you need. Don't wait for sinful violence to go away on its own because it probably won't. And for those of you who are in the room, and I pray that there's not any of you here, but if you are a perpetrator of that kind of violence, if you are someone who flies off the handle and your family lives in fear of what you'll do, then friend, I urge you, confess and come clean. Listen, it, it will be better for you to deal with earthly consequences in an earthly justice system than to one day stand before the Lord God Almighty who knows every detail of your sinful, angry escapades and will judge you for it. So better to come forward and come clean today. And I say those things because they are so terribly common in our society but they fly under the radar and we don't know about them. So friends, come and confess. Now, as we head, to the head toward the next point in our sermon, I just want to remind you that there are some other resources that we have on anger. You can go to the website, lbcchelsea.com. You can find this sermon series and find the resource page for uh, the, the sermons that we preached over the last few weeks. There are other resources there for anger. There's some on your sermon notes as well. And let me just say that um, even a couple years ago, in July of 2021, we preached a sermon called Primed for Anger in a series called Deadly Sins. Now, um, so, so go back and, and watch that one if you want to dive a little deeper on this topic. I preached that one too, and so I don't know what the deal is that every time we preach on anger or technology, it seems to come in my direction, but maybe the Lord is trying to say something, and just remember, I'm not where I want to be yet. He's still working on me. 
here's the point. The point is this, that, that, that violence is not going anywhere until sin goes somewhere. Until the Lord deals with the sin that's in your heart and that's in my heart, violence is not going anywhere. And friends, that's why today's arguments that you hear on the news after every one of these acts of mass violence, that's why these arguments are so empty. You can get rid of the guns, but humans will still find ways to kill each other in their anger. Ultimately, we need a heart change. And only God can provide that kind of heart change. See, we're violent because we're sinful. And in our sinful violence, we need, number three, the wisdom of God's word. Which is exactly what our passage said, right? The wisdom of God's word is this. Anger and violence cannot restore God's design. They can't. Our anger and our violence cannot restore God's design for peace. See, the reality is that most of our anger, even when our anger is right, like it's proper for us to feel that way, most of it is still polluted. Now, let me give you an example, right? Uh, dads, whenever our baby girls, right, like our daughters go out on that first date, you know, there's this commonly held thing that what are we doing? We're cleaning our guns. You know, why? Like, are you going you gonna to shoot him? I mean, even if your anger is rightly felt in that situation, it can still be wrongly expressed. Uh, you know, Christian moms, same, same goes for you, right? You say things like this, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. Or um, the expression, you know, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. I mean, you see what I'm saying, that even when our anger is rightly felt, it's still usually polluted by sinful expression. And that's why James says we need to be slow to anger. We do. We need that filter in our mind and our heart that just is willing to, to sit down, to slow down, to wait, to relax, to let God be God, to trust his promise that we can be still while he fights for us. Because human anger and human violence cannot restore God's design. It cannot accomplish his righteousness. I'll give you a... Uh, now, here's, here's one more thing. We'll dive a little deeper on that. I'm going to give you an example of this. Um, even without sin in reason or expression of our anger, we still can't accomplish true justice. Now, hear me when I say this, right? Um, imagine that you've got uh, two people who have been convicted of murder, okay? And then one murderer murders the other murderer. Has justice been done in this situation? Well, only kind of, Right? Because what right did the one murderer have to murder the other murderer? So even though one murderer got what he deserved, the other one did not, and he committed additional wrongdoing. Well, brothers and sisters, you and I are sinners before a holy God. And so when we try to take justice, to take vengeance, to take revenge for the wrongdoings of another sinner before God, I want you to understand you're the murderer in that story. Human anger cannot accomplish God's righteousness. Now, as an aside maybe, don't hear me say that Christians should not stand up when violence is happening around them. We absolutely should. We should stand in that gap and we should fight for the righteousness of God. Listen, um, one of my heroes is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany uh, of the Confessing Church movement, which was, was actively trying to raise disciples of Jesus while the, the, the majority of the German church just kind of stood by and capitulated to whatever Hitler and the Nazi party wanted to do. 
And Bonhoeffer, this pastor theologian, was actually involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. And he was arrested and hanged when that plot failed. But he's one of my heroes because he didn't just sit by on the side and call foul. He was actively involved in trying to restrain the evil that was happening around him. And you and I should do the same. We should not stand by. We should stand between evil and its victims. We should stand between the bully and the bullied. Liberty students, any of you that are in the room, I pray that that's who you'll be. That when you see somebody mistreated, you will stand between them and you'll step into it. Our life groups in this church should be a place where those kinds of confessions of violence whether they were the perpetrator or the victim of violence, can be confessed and can be shared. And then we should stand in the gap for those people. Now, I added um, late in my preparation the word human before the word violence um, in this point. Now, it's not on your sermon notes, but, but you can jot it down there if you want to because the reality is that human anger and violence cannot restore God's design. But... The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So yeah, it's true that human violence cannot restore God's design. But it's also true that divine violence had to take place for us to be forgiven. And this is the story of the gospel. That sometime... In eternity past, and I don't know how it works, and you don't know how it works either. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided together that even though humanity was going to fall into sin and was going to receive on ourselves that righteous judgment. You know, God looks at us as the judge and he says, you are wrong and you deserve my wrath for it. But God decided in eternity past that he was going to step in between and lay down his life, shed his blood, so that you could be forgiven, and so that I could be forgiven. The reality is, this violence had to happen, and it did happen. It happened at the hands of human beings who nailed God in the, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth to a Roman cross and executed him there. And they shed his blood, and he died, friend, so that your sins could be forgiven, and so that my sins could be forgiven. This is good news. It's the hope that we have. Because ultimately, Romans 6.23 says, um, wow, you know this happens sometimes when you're about to quote a verse and then it goes away from you. I'm glad that we could have this moment together. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And that's where every one of us is headed. Because Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yes, that is the course of our life. That's the direction that you and I are going down until Jesus offers his blood and stands in our place. There's one who is willing to suffer that violence, and this is point number four, the hope of the gospel. Peace restored and peace pursued. Jesus' blood was shed so that there could once more be peace between you and I and our Creator. That wedge that we drive in between us and our Heavenly Father, Jesus removed it by shedding His blood on the cross for our sins. 
the gap that existed is gone now. Ephesians 2.14 and elsewhere in the New Testament talks about how he himself is our peace and he made peace by shedding his blood. But here's the reality for us, friends. Peace restored between us and God means that peace also needs to be pursued by us in creation. And yeah, that includes with other people. It includes with the world around us. And you ask the question rightly, how do we do that? Well, James 1.19 gives us the perfect advice. Listen, first of all, be quick to listen. I mean, how many people do you know that are quick to listen? How would it change our world? Imagine that with me for a minute. If, if, if everybody in our community, in our society, in our country, if all of us were quick to listen, if rather than feeling like we just had to get our opinion out first and shut down the conversation, we were willing to be still and to listen. We were willing to be ears for that person who's hurting, who's struggling in their anger. We were willing to listen to them and hear their story. Number two, not just to be quick to listen, but to be slow to speak. Listen, I love when we, like, we get mad about celebrities who offer their opinion on every subject, right? We're like, man, why, why don't you just do your thing and stop talking about all this stuff? But don't you and I do the exact same thing? Don't we offer our opinions on all sorts of issues that we have no business being involved with? We are quick to speak and slow to listen, and it needs to be the opposite. Friends, as we follow Jesus, remember he laid down his life for our healing, for our salvation. Would we be willing to lay down our lives as well? And that includes our opinions. And then last, to be slow to anger. Again, I talked about having that filter in your mind and heart that looks at anger, that, that when, when you're, you know, the kingdom of me in your heart is crossed, you can pause, you can slow down, you can relax, and you can say, am I right to be angry about this? And if I am, then how can I rightly express this anger? Listen, if you ask the Holy Spirit to do that work in your heart, he will follow through, and you better be ready. There's been a lot of things that you want to hold on to. You're like, no, I'm right to be angry about that, and I want to fly off the handle about that. And he'll say, mm -mm, you can be angry about it, but the response needs to be given to me. And then let me help guide you through this situation. He'll do that. He'll do that for you and I, and we need that if we're going to be people of peace. See, listen, I'm not an expert on mass violence, friends. I, I can't say I know always why people choose to do these things, but here's what I can tell you. If we as a community, as a church, and then if we press that out into our society, if we resolve to become people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, then I just have to believe that violence is going to start ticking down. And so we've got to be those people. Earlier in this um, sermon, I mentioned to you Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. Again, I encourage you to read this because I don't have time to go through all of it. But I just want you to hear as God kind of lays out his idea for 
peace for his people. And remember, it's not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of blessings. So listen to just these few verses that God says, if you obey, here's what's coming your way, saying this to the Israelites. You're going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Your offspring will be blessed and your land's produce, the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. Basically, all of your enterprises, all of your business, it's going to be blessed. Your basket and your kneading bowl where you prepare food, that's going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Do you see what God is saying? Blessing all around for his people. This is shalom. It's what God wants to create in the world. Now, friends, as Christians, as Christ followers, we are not promised that kind of blessing in view of our obedience to God's commandments. Jesus said that in this world, we would have trouble. We would be persecuted. The Bible says that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. So even if you are obedient and you suffer, here's what's still true. Because of what Jesus has done for you, if you are a Christ follower, then you have peace on the inside that can make you blessed in any situation. Right? So you lose your job, well, you're still blessed. You feel like you're struggling to provide. You're still blessed because ultimately the bread of life lives within you. And he has promised that he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Right? If you experience conflict in your relationships around you, you can still count yourself blessed because you know that Jesus is within you. His spirit guides you. And ultimately he wants to use you as his agent of peace in the world. So even in turmoil even in conflict, even in struggle, even in disappointment, even in crushing despair, my friend, you can have peace on the inside. And that peace comes from Jesus and knowing him. And this is the kingdom. This is it. When we ask God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is what we're praying for. So friends, let me just close with a challenge to you that when these um, events of mass violence happen in our country, and let me encourage you to step into that situation. We're wrong to think that prayer does not matter in the wake of those tragedies. There's a lot of people who say, well, thoughts and prayers don't do anything. Well, thoughts don't, but prayers certainly do. So yes, when an act of mass violence occurs, the first thing that we do as believers should be to hit our knees and to ask God to bring peace where conflict has destroyed it. Second, whenever it's possible, we should go and we should minister to those who suffer because of mass violence. We should be people of peace who are not afraid to load up and, and, and go wherever we need to go. Third, we should send resources to help those people. Again, any way that we can, anything that we can think of to stand in the gap for them and to be there when hurt is caused by mass violence. And when we go and when we're with them and when we're talking to people who struggle with these things, my friends, we should sit in the midst of their suffering and we should be a peaceful presence. We don't need to be like Job's friends who tried to help him figure it out. There is no figuring it out for these kinds of things. But we should be willing to sit still and sit with them and then last, as my challenge to you, Liberty Baptist Church, when these kinds of things happen, 
and you find yourself right in the heart of them, right in the heat of the violence, I pray, I pray that you and I will have the courage on the inside to run to the fire, to the danger, to the situation. Pray that we'll be the kind of people who will rescue. I'm so close to being done that I'm trying not to worry about the microphone. So friends, be that person. Be that person of peace who's not afraid to step into the midst of the violence. There's some live it out points on your sermon notes that I pray that you'll look through and you'll flesh out what you need to do, how you need to respond to God's word this morning. And in just a moment, we're going to go to him in a time of worship and praise and response. And, and listen, I challenge you, whatever it is that the Spirit is saying to you, won't you respond in this time to deal with the anger that you have, to resolve to be a person of peace in God's world, and to work as his kingdom agent until we see his will done here as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us and for your grace for us. Lord, that you were willing to suffer violence on our behalf. You were willing to bear the wrath of God so that we ultimately would not have to. You were willing to take our punishment as a substitute so that we could be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I just pray for us as a church this morning that that as we stand in the gap for people who are experiencing mass violence, or, or Lord, should it be that we ourselves should face it one day, I pray that you'll help us to be the people who run to the danger to stand in between evil and its victim. I pray for all of those who are suffering at the hands of evil in this season of their life. I pray that you will be that presence, Lord, that peace that passes understanding for them. And Lord, ultimately, that you'll bring healing to each one of us. It's a violent world that we live in, Lord, and we know that we're part of the problem in that. So heal us. Make our hearts what you want them to be. Make them look like our Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. If you would like to take a next step, whether that's baptism or joining a life group or maybe even joining us as a member, I want you to text the word NEXT to 205-236-3717 and someone will be in touch with you. Thank you for joining us today and we hope to see you next week.